Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary Media. This week I spoke to Jamila Jamil. I'll uh, cue that up properly in a minute. But firstly, thank you for your lovely comments about the podcast with David Lynch. What a wonderful man he is. Thanks for being on the Luminary app. Remember to tell your friends how simple it was to download the Luminary app and to get it free for three months. If you could get just 10 people each to do that, I'd be grateful. Thank you. Now, time for some personal promo. I'm doing recovery live shows and I'm doing one this today. Yeah, today, later tonight, the tickets are gone, I think. But keep watching out for new tickets because there will be them. There's a few more tickets for the David Lynch event, I believe. They might have sold out, but just keep checking on russellbrand.com and on my social media sites if you do want to come and see me. Here's a show that I do know there's tickets for because I'm just announcing it now. On Saturday the 15th of June at 6pm and 9pm, I'm going to be in Southern Alberta. That's in Canada, of all places, at the Jubilee Auditorium, a benefit for the Fresh Start Recovery Centre. I'll be doing stand-up. It'll be jokes and all that kind of stuff. Go to russellbrand.com to get tickets. It's $105, but that's Canadian dollars. That's the same as Mouse's money, I believe. I believe that the Canadian dollar is the same as Mouse's money. I think that's the official value of it. I don't know what it is, but yeah, it's a benefit anyway for a recovery centre, the Fresh Start Recovery Centre. So that's, where's it near? Calgary. It's near Calgary, if you can imagine that. If you're not near Calgary, go near Calgary on Saturday the 15th of June and at 6pm or 9pm, come to this thing. It's a massive venue, so... You've got to come, otherwise I'm going to just be in there on my own. $105, Canadian dollars, all goes to a recovery centre. It's going to be a great show. I'll do some greatest hits. I'll tell some proper jokes. You'll have a lovely time. Okay, and uh, if you've not bought Mentors yet, or Recovery, which is, do you know Recovery has been translated into over eight languages, most of which were human? If you've not got those books yet, go on Amazon, or even better still, go to a local bookshop run by like a little local spider just trying its best to weave its way through life um, or get the audible book, audio book. And Rebirth is still on Netflix, so check that out and all. And have you been watching those spiritual videos on YouTube? I mean, I'm, uh, I think this week I'm going to do anxiety, uh, spirituality, all sorts of stuff. Anyway, so uh, yeah, follow me at Rusty Rockets on Twitter, hashtag under the skin if you want uh, some comments read out or if you want to communicate with me, and on Instagram, at True Russell Brand. Before we get to the fantastic Jamila Jamil, here's some of your comments on the podcast with David Lynch, which was, for me, a wonderfully educational experience. He's a great hero and, dare I say, a mentor of mine. San Rakhara says, Hi, Rusty Rockets. Just finished Under the Skin podcast with at David Lynch. Absolutely brilliant. I remember when something upset and happened, my mum saying it's because we're in Karl Jörg. Now I get it. So, uh... Thank you. Yeah, we've explained that. There was a sort of a limitless 400,000-year dark age that we're slap-bang in the middle of. So suddenly the current global political situation makes a lot more sense. Jacqueline says, um, Two of my favourite people together. I enjoyed this conversation heaps. So that's got to be an Australian person. Lynch's enthusiasm for meditation is infectious. I feel motivated to try it incorporate it into my own life thanks for this great episode hashtag under the skin yeah well meditation is the answer david lynch is convinced of that and i certainly believe it's vital fruity underscore tart underscore art 
oh wow, what a treat. I've admired David for so many years, hearing him discuss the Bhagavad Gita and Vedic texts as I drive home from my yoga class was a surreal and beautiful moment. Thank you. Thank you. Hashtag under skin prayer hands. Barry.Kerr, comprehensive and enlightening podcast. David Lynch was clearly at home in your company. Enjoyed every minute. Fair play to you both. Well, I certainly found it extremely informative and educational. He's obviously a, a wonderful man, a legit genius, and who can complain about that? Now, uh, this guest, Jamila Jamil, someone I wanted to talk to on our podcast for a long time. I've been enjoying her activism, her popular and accessible conversations around mental health, feminism, body positivity, um, call-out culture. She's been brilliant, and she certainly didn't disappoint. It was a wonderful conversation with British-born but now American superstar, Jamila Jamil. I think we're going to have to keep our eye on her because I think she's going to do wonderful, wonderful things. I'll see you on the other side of this fantastic podcast where I talked to her somewhat about her Eyeway campaign so um, where people talk about body positivity and their value beyond what they weigh, something that Jamila is very passionate about. And uh, listen, you just have a listen for yourself. Then we'll talk on the other side of this. See you in a minute. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told. And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. All right, Jamila, thanks for coming on Under the Skin. Thanks for having me. We've wanted to have you on for a long time. I think because of the humorous, we hear our team, which, you know, just so people don't think we've got a huge team, it's me, Jenny and Charlie, <laughs> yeah. talked about uh, some of the way that you've been campaigning. I think the Avon thing we were well into. You talked about Avon using body image language. I myself, pure old man that I am, was particularly affected by some kind of image of you defecating in <laughs> yeah. order to draw attention to slimming pills. Um, but all, all, all of which is a good way of drawing attention to the idea that you're campaigning around uh, ideas of sort of body uh, identity, body image in ways yeah. that are sort of humorous and stuff. Yeah, I, I really am just trying to get to a place of body ambivalence. That's Go my on. that's my hope is that we get we stop thinking so much about our bodies. Like a lot of women think about their body before they think about anything else in the world, and I think it holds us back. So it, you spend a lot of time thinking about your body, especially as the ideals for what we're supposed to look like change and update and become even more ridiculous as as time goes on. And so because of that, I just think that you could get so much more done if you stopped thinking about your body so much. I know that since I stopped thinking about mine all of the time, I'm now much more successful in the fact that I'm a happier person. I'm, uh, my relationships are better. My friendships are better. I'm more effective in my work. I'm more effective in my activism because I've just got time because I'm ambivalent about my body. How did you achieve that? Therapy. <laughs> so you went from a state of what? Oh, I've got to be super skinny and my body's got to look like this. Is that, yeah. is that the issue? Well, I've been quite anorexic since I was about 12. It's quite young. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's fairly young. I mean, nowadays that's quite normal. But uh, back in the 90s when it was all heroin chic, where they used that term non-ironically, uh, and that was truly a, like famine and heroin addiction were the two um, most idealized images uh, for women in the world, which is so ridiculous considering heroin addiction was real and so was famine in the world at that time. Uh, and so I grew up in... The 90s thinking that I was only worth anything if I was really six and a half stone. God. 
That's a hard ideal to live with. Yeah, well, you sort of measure your worth via how much your hip bones are jutting out of your jeans. Do you remember that? Like that phase that everyone went through where everyone was trying to be like Kate Moss and she was like, nothing tastes as good as thin feels. Yeah, I do. I do remember that. And I remember feeling that it must be generated by marketing and fashion, that Mm -hmm. it must be coming from there. Like fashion and marketing, do you think that these two professions or modalities excuse me it's not modalities is not a good word to burp in the middle of so many syllables (laughs) so i could be wave riding that burp for ages um like fashion and marketing what do what do you feel about these industries and 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 do do you think it's what do you think about how deliberate it is the sort of this um sort of uh, this idolized body images that women aspire to i think it's for lack of a less dramatic word evil <laughs> i really do i think that they've worked out very easily um you're right you're quite gassy at the moment you're right I drink that <laughs> i'm sensing quite something quick. coming up <laughs> i'm like that to are you gonna truth. throw up on me <laughs> finding a lot of your opinions quite difficult to take <laughs> do <you think> that? <laughs> i don't agree with you i think fashion and marketing are great fact, well, noble you, professions you famously love corporations absolutely yeah you love the system you love the man you love the banks they get together. Yeah. That's all the corporation is. That's a get together. It's <laughs> a big happy family. <laughs> Conspiracy, breathe together. People coming together with one common goal. What could be yeah. better? To make women feel fat. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I can say from experience that when I'm happy and content in my life, I consume less. Not as in I eat less. I just don't feel the need to fill any kind of void. My yes. void is full of love and happiness and sex and and uh, intellectual fulfillment. And so therefore I don't need to go out and buy scarves or shoes or bags or expensive things. And mm. so if we can keep everyone in a constant state of unhappiness and unrest and sort of devoid, bankrupt really of any kind of uh, contentment, then we can make them think that they need something all the time and then they're more likely to go out and buy something. So we keep women in particular in a constant feeling of unrest and we make sure that they never, ever, ever feel good enough. And every time women en masse seem like they might be achieving the societal standard, we move the goalposts and we make it even worse. I saw a, I saw an advert the other day on like InStyle magazine for earlobe plastic where you can now make your earlobes more attractive. Who the fuck cares about your fucking earlobes? When was the last time you thought about your earlobes? Now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like they're running out of real estate on our bodies to, to monetize and to weaponize against us. And so I think that Things have just become completely out of control. I think it's also why, have you noticed men's body shaming has gone up a yes. little bit and male grooming is becoming more and more of a thing. I think that's because they've literally run out of space on a woman's body to tell us there's something wrong with and now they're having to move on to men. Colonise a new sex. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you and I think that it oh, um, it must be emanating from co- commercial requirements. Yeah. It's a, like I, whenever I have conversations in this territory and I have them frequently because it's something I care about and I'm interested about I remember um, Adam Curtis's documentary Century of the Self in which he talked about Edward Bernays Freud's nephew credited with inventing the profession of PR and uh, associating marketing and sales 
with emotional needs mm-hmm. using the sort of his understanding of Freud's theories that if you could make if people only buy products because they need them once they've got the product then they're done if people mm-hmm. buy the products because they need to feel better it can it's limitless infinite, yeah. it's infinite yeah well that's what I, that's what happened between me and Avon is that Avon were selling a product called Naked Proof and within that messaging, and it's a it's a cream that can get rid of different creams that can get rid of cellulite and stretch marks. And allegedly, they're not getting rid of cellulite. There's no cream that can get rid of cellulite. It's just a thing that you have and all people have it. Um, same with stretch marks. And it gets rid of wrinkles and kind of any kind of quote unquote blemish. And they were calling it naked proof. And, and in that was the explicit messaging that you can only be seen naked if you don't have these very normal natural things. Like how much more self-conscious can they make us feel? The amount of women I know who cannot have sex with the light on because they feel so ashamed of their perfectly normal, wonderful bodies. It's just so sad. And they're cashing in on that. They're zoning in on that insecurity that they know exists because of them. And then they're cashing in on it. They create our unhappiness and then they sell us a remedy for it it's so grotesque have you made this documentary yet no (laughs) you should make this documentary because when i was what i was thinking that i would like to see then was i'd like to see you talk to the people at whatever Mm. advertising agency go like you know because someone went came up with naked proof and i wondered like and like i of course as you've already jokingly implied um object to structures that objectify us and turn us into consumers instead of awakened and awakening individuals and collectives. I wonder what goes on in these institutions where power emanates from. I less and less think it is Machiavellian and emanating from individuals. I more think it's a kind of systemic mindset that if all anyone cares about is make profit, you know, let's take for the example of Avon, if all they care about is we need to sell beauty products, what is the best way to sell beauty products? By having people feel inferior. What new areas are there? You know, total body makeup. What, what you know, like these things. It becomes if you reduce people to a kind of to an, the the objectification of all of us, the objectification of one another by each other, and the objectification of us by as uh, just as a market means that that that. Uh, we see ourselves only as material. You know, I'm thinking, how do you reverse that? How do you have it that people accept their bodies as they are? I would, like, there's a club somewhere over there in the valley in Los Angeles. It said, like, naked stand-up comedy night, like, where the acts are naked and the audience are naked. Horrifying asterisk, bring a towel. I guess to sit on in a chair. And I thought... Or to oh, clean up your, um, your happy juice. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> let's never call it happy juice again. Sorry, <laughs> let's make an agreement yeah. to, to <laughs> impose a, a ban on that hateful phrase. We're creating our own hate speech as we go, Jamila. I'm sorry. Um, I thought, oh God, I'd be, I wouldn't feel comfortable to be an audience member or a participant in that. And of course, it's our natural state. And I read this thing the other day where it said, like, um, if you want to know how conditioned you are, think how, like, the, 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 when was the last time you considered getting up and leaving the house naked, you would never do it because you are so conditioned to wear clothes that to not do it would be an indication of mental illness. So, yes, of course, we have, we have such deeply entrenched beliefs and these entrenched beliefs are manipulated and exploited in order to help. And we're soaked in shame. We're soaked in it, drenched. Mm. It's dripping off me still. Like, that's the only thing I mostly use therapy for is just to keep sort of just shaving layers of shame off me. What's it come that's from? Sort of, uh, it comes from everywhere. <laughs> 
it comes from everything. It is in the air. It's like this haze and mist all around us. It starts from as soon as you can, as soon as you can really understand, even in the ways that we emotionally condition people. Like, you know, I think it was Louise Hay, who's not someone that I necessarily stand by all of her teachings, but she did say, which really spoke to me, that when we're born, we're perfect. Like we don't feel self-conscious about ourselves, about our bodies. We don't notice our thighs and our stomachs. We uh, don't find poo disgusting. Like we don't find germs or dirt problematic. We tell people when we're sad. We tell people when we feel ignored. We tell people when we're hungry. We are constantly expressing our needs and communicating. And before you're two years old, that kind of gets stamped out of you and you get controlled against just speaking your true heart and and made to feel like there's something wrong with just telling somebody what you need and and you get start to be made to feel embarrassed about like you know touching yourself or about showing your willy like or uh, you start to feel embarrassed of your bum your wonderful innocent bum and so I think that would have been around the age that I first started to feel shame and then it comes from tv and it comes from magazines and it comes from your parents internalized shame that they carry around it's just it's something that in particular the British really, really cling to. We cling to our shame. Mm. We look for it. We go out and actively seek it out. Yes, I agree with what you're saying. I experience and have experienced a lot of shame mm-hmm. like, because my, a lot of my un, my own understanding of myself is derived from the 12 steps and 12-step recovery that you never find anyone with addiction issues and broadly eating disorders can be umbrellaed there I, I believe you know I know there's some layers of complexity that you know I don't fully understand about that but that shame is always a component a sense that there is something essentially wrong with me and if like that negative self-belief is validated in some way then it makes it all the more difficult to unpick and I, I, I like you I find it to be a continual process mm-hmm. dealing with shame of like I have to do esteemable acts uh, I have to not believe my own negative messages or cultural messages how do what is your practice uh, aside from therapy for dealing with shame and uh, forgive me for saying trite uh, for sounding trite um, you are what would be regarded I think as um physically beautiful person like your the way you look doesn't that uh help that made me feel ashamed when you just said that I felt ashamed of myself because you said a nice thing to me which is the most British thing in the world but I felt a pang of unease and shame (laughs) not that you should feel bad for that but that was quite an interesting thing to know well then why why then why why uh probably because a tall poppy syndrome or like if anything if like if anyone compliments you like I th- I don't know where it comes from but we are we taught to start to feel like no 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 to resist it immediately as soon as someone starts telling you something nice like the quintessential uh practice of any woman in England is that if you were to say oh that's a lovely dress um she'll immediately tell you oh yeah no this is only like five pounds it's from Primark I just found it in, a, in a, like a bin covered in a homeless man's piss it Look was like it, it's it nothing it's nothing Ugh. <laughs> and just like throws custard all over herself like it's just like it's we you can't compliment a woman's clothes without her telling you how shit they are or and how, then how shit she is oh this food's nice yeah. oh no it's horrible is it yeah. it's too much I salt throw it together um oh. oh thank you for this birthday present oh good night it's just the last minute thing it's shit yeah. I'll, I'll smash it exactly like it's like a it's a it's like acid reflux if someone says something nice. But um, regarding shame, so I did EMDR therapy, which is eye movement 
desensitization and reprocessing therapy i believe have you heard about this yeah yeah i found that very effective because what that did is that i found with traditional therapies or even with cbt it required me to do a lot of homework and work all the time in having to constantly which i i'm quite a work shy person and i didn't appreciate having to constantly have to check myself in challenging and triggering situations and what emdr did is it it truly removed the the emotion that was linked to the traumatic memory or thought process it just sort of cut cut it off for me so it took out a lot of the homework for me where I would walk into a situation that normally would trigger me and my emotion associated to the memory that that situation has triggered is now gone That's good. and so it makes it it makes it mundane things that I used to find terrifying are boring to me brilliant what so like that was helpful uh like I um I had some terrible uh, abusive experiences in the dark as a child and I uh, became afraid of the dark until I was 28 years old, couldn't sleep in the dark, couldn't be alone in a house, had to check in every cupboard, under every bed, uh, in every single room again and again and again. I had terrible OCD around like my safety and I couldn't really sleep. So I was sleep deprived for like basically 28 years, which made me incredibly depressed and suicidal. So I went to this EMDR therapy just for that because I decided to move to America and I was like, I can't, I can't go there this afraid. I can't spend my 30s as afraid as I've spent the last three decades of my life. And so I did EMDR therapy and within two sessions, and it's so uneventful, EMDR. It's so boring and uneventful that you feel like you're being robbed like, of your money. What's happening? Because um, you're just watching a, a, a light just go back and forth across the wall as if you're a fucking dog. And you just sit there for an hour doing that with a therapist sitting next to you. And Are so, they talking to you about stuff? Yeah, they're sort of saying, you know, like, what's, what's a traumatic memory? And I would recount the heinous things that happened to me as a child and then they'd be like think about that thing which is a very painful thing to do and you start to feel like sick in your stomach sometimes you start to feel almost physical pain you feel very very stressed and you're looking at this light and as you are looking at it somehow the longer you keep looking at it you, it just the feeling of pain starts to dissipate and it never comes back and so after I'd done two sessions of it I really just thought it was bollocks and I was like, I didn't really like, it hasn't changed anything. It felt very uneventful. And I, I went to sleep that night and I woke up in the morning realizing that for the first time in my life, I turned the lights off and I hadn't triple locked my door and checked under anything. I hadn't checked anything without realizing I'd just gone home, turned the light off and gone to sleep. It takes your trauma from you like a thief in the night. That's the only way I could describe, in a less creepy way than a thief in the night. A nice thief. Yeah. Like the tooth fairy taking, giving some money and taking some trauma. Redundant teeth. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, and it seemed automatic. You didn't even clock it as it were, was happening. You didn't yeah. go, oh my God, look, I'm just laying peacefully down in bed. No, not at all. This tells us, I suppose, that our consciousness and what we consider to be ourself is more diverse and expansive than we consider yeah. that through a kind of a form of hypnosis, I suppose, that could commonly be mm -hmm. understood as you can... Um, but you are very much so like awake and like in the moment. So you're not right. You're not in an, another Trance place in your nothing. mind. Yeah. Um, but, but it's it, somehow bypassing whatever that behavioural matrix is that makes you afraid. Because, like, in a way, it's obvious that afraid of the dark is a belief. Yeah. Like, Jamila is afraid of the dark is a belief. And then you can somehow mm -hmm. bypass whatever that is. Because mm -hmm. I've had, like, neuro-linguistic programming, which is a sort of, like, it seems like it's the same Is that where they can teach you that a cigarette is a poo? <laughs> That's the whole essence of it. 
You see that cigarette? <laughs> no. Yes, it's delicious. No, but well, they, my man, it's a poo. So when you're walking around, you can... I mean, I have no idea. I've been told this by an LLP therapist that well, you're I'm walking around... by the and level of example. Seeing, yeah, you see... <laughs> like and what do you do for a living? Extremes. Well, madam, I teach people that cigarettes are out of poo. Yeah. Would you like to come to a dinner party? Um, but again, like with EMDR, another way in which it helped me is that I used to weaponize food. So because of my, the, like my childhood dynamic, my family dynamic and the complicated relationships that that people in many parts of my family had with food I felt like food was rebellion food was love food was uh food was self-hatred it was it was everything other than just fuel it was very very much so like emotionally like it, uh, it was sort of yeah I think it was very attached to my emotions and very very strong emotions so anything bad would happen I would go and comfort eat anything good would happen I would go and eat until the point of discomfort where I could really only breathe if I was on all fours uh, because my uh, windpipe and my esophagus are no longer like making friends with each other and uh, again within two sessions maybe of EMDR about that I was able to just separate those emotions attached to food and now food is just food for the first time in my life, I had no idea how exhausting it is. That's the thing about EMDR for me is that, and I know that that's not what we're here to talk about, but it is something that I think is very important, which is that it felt like, and you've had therapy, I don't know if you can relate to this, but it felt like walking out of a club at 4am in Camden and stepping out into the quiet street. And it's only when you're in the quiet street that you realise, fucking hell, it was so loud in there. That's how I feel about stepping out of shame and stepping out of trauma, is realising how horrific it's been inside my mind all of this time and now i feel peaceful that's incredible it makes me want to have some emdr it's so, like i'm really easily influenced with stuff like that my own therapeutic and personal development journey has been as i am indicating through my manner of speech <laughs> much more incremental <laughs> and I'm also, i've not had like many epiphanies even though i feel like i've done all these different like you mm. know stop taking drugs stop being a sex addict don't watch porn anymore like you know like this like sort of all of these behaviors let go of let go of and i still when i think of like I have to do quite a lot of work if I'm going into a social situation not to feel anxious about it. So, you know, mm -hmm. and like, and I still use, and I, I kind of believe in, even though when I say it, it sounds a bit dumb, like the kind of psychoanalysis that is about narrativization, you know, like when you would typically see a therapist and they go, oh, you're scared of this because this happened and here's this image and that means that. And, and you sort of go, oh my God, I'm starting to understand it. Mm -hmm. Whereas what you're describing with EMDR is something that's much more like experiences I've had with beloved Paul McKenna, you know, <laughs> like who hypnotized me. Yeah, but into... it, is, it is like mainstream medical practice like it's on the nhs now and they hate paying for us <laughs> to have any kind of help uh, but uh it's now on the nhs you can now receive it for free I, well that's amazing and I, I certainly don't think that it um was woo woo or new age no. quite the contrary in fact because it seems like it's sort of treating the human mind like it's a type of machine which in some ways is an analogy that i am resistant to because i often think that that's one of the tools of objectification that's used people are like machines they're good machines but like you know i feel that yeah. and also i'm quite a romantic person and believe mm. that no we're complex flowing Made animal angel yeah. we're, we're basically gravy yeah. Um, ah, right. So EMDR. Now, can we? Um, it's just sort of. It just. It doesn't necessarily turn your. It doesn't. For me, it doesn't make me feel like my mind is a computer. It just makes me feel like my mind has got some shelves that need reorganising. Yeah. And I've put some shit in the wrong shelf, and it's throwing everything off balance. 
yeah, it's ruining I mean, the feng shui inside my mind. Bad mind feng shui. Because it's yeah. like, it seems to me from like, and uh, like if you meet anyone that knows less about neurology than I do, you know, I'd, I'd like to meet them so I can talk down to them. But it seems to me that <laughs> what there might be are sort of patterns of firing synapses that, you know, that we regard as our essential self, but are mm-hmm. in actually just sort of, you know, encoded. You were encoded with scared of the dark. I was encoded with not good enough, acquire status or whatever it is. And you can, in various ways, unpick that programming, which on some level would have a mechanical component. And if it has a mechanical component, i.e. is, you know, there are certain synapses or groups of synapses that are firing, then it's possible that it can be done, undone, as evidenced by your own journey, through something like EMDR or more direct forms of therapy, mm-hmm. you know, which I've, I've also had, you know, like forms of therapy that are like hypnotic as opposed to someone sitting you down and talking you through and explaining to you and you yourself um, you know, discovering and uncovering aspects of yourself. Or they just sit and nod at you like nad, like Lassie. Naddy or Lassie. <laughs> Primarily, yeah. Yeah, yeah Lassie. <laughs> Which nodding. I've, again, I don't, I really don't want. I needed someone to help me. Do you do any support group stuff? No, because I felt uh, shy and embarrassed because people knew who I was in the UK. And that was my shame coming over again. Whereas actually now I'm very open about my mental health struggles and eating disorder struggles and all the stuff that I've been, I've, you know, I've been raped more than once in my life. I talk about that openly in the public. I no longer carry shame around anything that's happened to me or anything I've been through. And as a result of it, I've become better. Like my sort of progress chart has just gone in the last three years because I open up and I've destigmatized my own trauma to myself, which we all, I think, need to do a bit more of. Certainly we do. For me, I undertake that in a lot in collective situations. You know, from the tools I use, I like 12 step stuff and support groups with mm-hmm. other people. For me, a lot of the, what I had to overcome is sort of like self-centered, self-obsession. And a good way to overcome that is in group environments where you hear other people, see other people, witness, empathize with other people mm-hmm. to the point where against, in my case, my, you know, seemingly my better judgment, like it kind of melts away my sense of myself as a dislocated individual and yeah. start to feel myself as, hold on a minute, you exist in relationship. You exist in relationship with and others. And it also sort of destabilizes the bad side of pride mm. in you, I think, sharing with other people. And I think pride is just this little bastard that runs around your brain, just tangoing everything. Um, I don't, uh, I, that has been something that that being able to sort of kind of murder my pride has been an amazing part of my journey to stop being uh, such a twat and, and start to actually be really honest with people. I was a very performative person in my 20s uh, and I was very insincere and very much so into playing the part of the it girl who had everything and I was always happy and I always had a funny self deprecating story and I was just full of shit and it wasn't until I met someone when I was 27 who I really fancied and uh one of the first things he said to me which completely crushed me was um oh god aren't you tired I was like no I feel great he's like no just tired of um all of this that you're doing and it made me I had to climb under a table under the table that we were there and not suck him off just to be clear that's what that sounds like it might be that's where it might be going didn't seem that's where (laughs) Wow, my self-esteem's on the floor. No, Fellatio is the woman, journey back. A woman getting under a table of, uh, that she's sharing with a man that she fancies could have sounded wrong, but I just had to hide there from him because I felt so exposed. And that sentence... Did you literally get under this table? I, I literally thinking, got right, under this table. table. And he took a photograph of that moment, which I will give you a copy of. Uh, and we are now still really good friends. 
but he sort of triggered my nervous breakdown, really. Um, but also my breakthrough, which All is what right. they like to call it. My nervous breakthrough. <laughs> What's the old spirituality like, Jamila? You've got uh, some sort of spiritual program? No. No, I, I, I don't. I haven't managed to do that. I can't meditate. I've tried all the apps. I'm like, I'm too oh, ADD. What an exhaustive journey. It's <laughs> <laughs> incredible. Yeah, I, I give up. I didn't know you'd gone to so much trouble. Well, <laughs> you tried every single app. I'm still just not, not conquered. I'm, I'm not a spiritual person. I what hope, do you mean? All I people are spiritual. That, what you're describing okay, sorry, is spirituality. Sorry, 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 sorry. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how to speak of that form of human being. Because what you just described, like everything you've described, is like shame and overcoming shame, mm-hmm. uh, ego, overcoming ego, purpose, finding purpose, connection with other, connection with inner I'm the self. Dalai Lama. <laughs> yeah. I, I've just worked out that you are the Dalai. You're a reincarnation of Dalai Lama, the one that's he ain't even died yet. Yeah. I mean, this is gonna blow well, their minds. It's 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 just that it it hasn't personally yet in my life spoken to me, and I you know I have a very uh, I have very spiritual family members and friends who are very spiritual. And I live in Los Angeles, which is the most spiritual place in the West, I think. Is that fair to say? People really bang on, don't they? They about really the old spirituality. do. Look yeah. at me now. I'm about to just don't, you know, this is me beginning my, well, oh, let's start banging on about spirituality <laughs> about to call now. Bagwan on me. No, I, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I just, it's just not not where I'm at currently but I don't I don't not believe in it I really love the idea of karma so that's my first step in spirituality is is good and bad karma I like karma I'm still I think I'm still just quite childish and I haven't been able to get into but I also have no imagination don't say these things no but it's a real thing <coughs> no like I can't what well, I can't I don't care about anything that has realms or other worlds like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter like I don't that's fantasy like, that's just... fantasy and image systems okay, that's a different I'm not, thing oh, I don't mean to diminish spirituality by comparing I... it to Lord of the Rings I'm just saying it's a mythic, oh god uh... I'm really digging I'm starting to sweat <laughs> 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 <Just kidding>. oh, <laughs> hold on a minute you're saying that Islam is Harry Potter yeah. <laughs> um, religion and spirituality are not things that I've yet found in my life that's interesting because uh, I feel like that what you're describing in a sense is missionary not that it has to um conform to some predetermined idea there's lots of humanist atheist secularist people that Mm -hmm. seem to me very very sort of zealous and up for changing the world making other people feel better Mm -hmm. liberating people from false beliefs as all i'm saying is as a a paradigm that is as spiritual it's you're Mm -hmm. describing awakening you just when you said mental breakdown mental breakthrough that sort of a kind of a almost spiritual aphorism mm-hmm. or maxim is sort of an idea that's used but talk, talk to me a bit about um uh, while we're touching on the subject of mission your i wait campaign and explain it to me so i understand so i uh i was forced to join instagram because i started as an actor on a big show on nbc and they like you to have lots of social media so i joined instagram properly for that which purpose. one is that the one where it's in heaven yeah the good place that's like um, not yet but everyone says it's brilliant and oh, i'm thanks. gonna watch it um well it's so so i joined instagram and i, I clicked on this 
terrible little magnifying button, uh, magnifying glass picture, which is a button called the explore button on Instagram, which is like truly the wild west (laughs) uh, for your self-esteem. And you open it up and it's just wonderful airbrushed asses and there's a lot of breaths. You shouldn't shouldn't go near it. Not for all right. Stay away from uh, Instagram (laughs) and um, and uh, a lot of body shaming, like really, really explicit body shaming and and there are loads of pictures of very, very successful uh, and wealthy female celebrities with a number written across their body, but that number isn't their net worth. It's their weight and uh, and their height. And so there are thousands of these posts that just tell you how much your favorite celebrity weighs so you can oh, wow. compare your weight to that person. And that explicitly tells young people that uh, really your weight is the most important thing about you. It doesn't matter how smart or talented or successful or happy you are. It's really just down to the number on a scale. We are measured still in 2019 women with a weighing scale. And it's basically the only way in which you can be commendable, in particular in the West, is if you are taking up as little space in this world as possible. And the less space you take up, the more valuable you are until you get old and then you have to just go and kill yourself. (laughs) Because yes, we don't yes. we don't value female age. We love men getting older. We love salt and pepper hair. We don't say that about women when they go grey. We tell them to go back inside and stop disgusting everyone. Uh, we shoot men in HD. We don't airbrush them. We uh, we make sure that we we refer to these men as sexy and dignified when we start to see the signs of age and gravity showing on them. And with women, we airbrush them to the point where they look like there are pictures of the women who were in Ocean's Eight who were all very attractive women as they are. I've seen them all in person. They look like fucking emojis on the cover of magazines. The humanity has been completely washed out of their face with Photoshop. Anyway, so these are some of the things that I was noticing. And I decided that I was going to write one day what I weigh in this world. And I weigh my happiness, my relationship, the trauma I've overcome, the way that I am, the fact that I'm an activist, the fact that I'm financially independent, the things that I'm still struggling with. I I think that we weigh our contributions to our society, our attributes and our, our journeys and our struggles, um, both the ones that we're going through and the ones that we've overcome. And so I posted that out into the world really with no, like I didn't have a very big following on either Instagram or Twitter, just with no expectation. It was just something I had to get off my chest and it just really spoke to people, I think because of the simplicity and because of our overall exhaustion of being constantly treated like shit in this society. And so thousands of women without being prompted started sending me their iway pages back and then within about three days i had thirty thousand of these images coming through and i just thought it'd be so sad if they just disappear into the bumhole of the internet and so i started an instagram account uh for these posts and again just thought it would be like the als ice bucket challenge where it sort of lasts for two weeks and then no one ever talks about it again but it's just grown and grown and it grown. And it's me and my friend Megan running this account. There's no social media team. There's no like algorithm chat. We just post whatever comes in as it comes in. And it's now on its way to a million followers. We've got over 700,000 as of yesterday. And it's, it's just this brilliant community that isn't just about body. It's about our worth as a society. And it's become a big space for people who are trans or who want to come out or people who are gay who want to come out it's become this amazing community of people where there is no shame allowed it's a revolution against shame essentially so it's i weigh which is at i underscore w-e-i-g-h on instagram and it's just this very safe space for men women and non-binary that's good and it's it's nice to have a safe space on the dirty dirty internet (laughs) 
I can't even go in there to tell you the truth, Jamila. I feel like uh, it's not safe. It's not safe for, for not safe for me. Not uh, I, you know, in a in a way, it's it could be the same could be said of culture that I don't like what I would become if I had to go into mm-hmm. those places. Increasingly, I'm starting to think of individual responsibility as less and less the determining uh, factor in who we are more that we operate within systems you know because when like when you're talking about uh you know like the objectification of mm-hmm. people through their weight and measurements it is a sort of i thought of this thing the other day i was thinking about the origin myth in the christian uh theology you know adam and eve and that and felt like oh the f- like that the first thing that is commodified is the woman the first thing that is agriculturalized is the woman and then blamed yeah yeah like that you sort of regard uh, like in this myth in this Mm -hmm. myth structure uh the woman is the first thing like you know you've got to control the land to grow crops you've got to control the animals to be able to control the products that come from them and to be able to eat them you've got to control the female in order to control procreation mm-hmm. i was thinking that it must be about control this process of objectification if a person sees themselves as an object if a person can take on the shame that's inflicted upon them by a society that needs to regard them as objects then you don't need to continually mm-hmm. dominate you don't need to use systems of military domination or social domination because if you achieve psychological domination because people regard themselves as shamed objects then they'll behave in accordance with you know the primarily but they'll behave as consumers i think of shame almost like a seed that gets planted in us and then it grows into a tree that we nurture ourselves as we get older, we sort of, well, this is our tree and we look after it and we keep watering it with more shame. And we, we inflict a lot of shame upon ourselves, even when it's not coming in from the outside. We learn it and then we carry it on internally. So it's this brilliant thing that, that they're able to do without having to, they're able to kind of, the corporations, for example, or the people who are responsible, the abusers within our society, they are able to make us feel ashamed and then be able to kind of hide as we carry on we do the homework and carry on that shame for us. You see a lot of that with sexual abuse victims, How? where they carry on, they, something happens to them, and then they start to blame themselves or feel dirty or feel ashamed, and they carry that shame on, and that shame grows in them over time until they are hopefully given some sort of help or salvation. I suppose we have to rationalise trauma. If something traumatic happens mm-hmm. to you when you are young, you have to sort of think, well, hold on, I can't be living in a chaotic world mm-hmm. where there is no justice. I must be bad. That must have happened for a yeah. reason. Yeah, yeah, and also because no one talks about it and like people in our position rarely talk about it, uh, people really don't know that it's happening to anyone else. That's definitely something that I had when I was younger, is thinking that I was the only person who felt that way and you'd sit there and like in a cafe and notice that everyone else seemed like they were functioning and living their lives perfectly normally and engaging in conversations normally. And I would, I would really not understand how they're doing that. I thought I was this freak, this anomaly who was just, who just couldn't get it right. And I blamed myself so much for that. And it wasn't until after I had therapy that I realized it wasn't me who was to blame. It was so many external factors. And part of the reason that I'm uh, such a diehard activist is because I've been through so much pain in my life that I'm desperate to stop other people from going through the same thing and also selfishly if I can recycle this pain and trauma and shame into something good and help other people which I am now doing then it didn't happen to me for no reason which is nice yeah it's brilliant it's a brilliant idea it's the 
uh, uh, forgive the evangelism, but the um, twelve steps is a uh, uses the 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 same idea that you awaken to the fact that your problems uh, can be altered if you're mm. willing to change yourself. And the primary change, the the objective, in fact, of the 12 steps is to live a life where you are of service mm-hmm. to other people, which for me, how, how it helps me is it reminds me that my own suffering is relatively insignificant. I mean, relatively in the scale of mm-hmm. a universe and also the suffering that's around me. And if I'm engaged in this kind of action and activity, then I am not the person that shame would have me believe I am because mm-hmm. here I am doing stuff that's perfectly nice and yeah. reasonable. I don't think necessarily insignificant, but I think definitely it doesn't, it's not all encompassing. Like I think it's important also. I think sometimes, I don't think that's necessarily, I, I, I sometimes worry, and this is probably not what you meant and I'm probably being a bit dumb, but um, I do worry sometimes that we also hear about all the terrible traumatic things that happen in the world and we think, well, you know, I haven't, that hasn't happened to me or I haven't, you know, been going through what that child who's covered in blood in Syria is going through. So I'm not entitled to to uh, identify and address my problems. And so, and that's something that I think sometimes people are guilty of doing. Not guilty, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I understand that, right? Because yeah, pain is relative and you're only living, yeah. the, the pain that you're experiencing is the pain you're having. But you see that bit where you said entitled to the, you know, like, well, part of my uh, process is like, I don't want to keep the pain <laughs> or I don't want to be entitled to it. I like, so, you know, you're right. I don't want to sort of go, oh God, like, I don't want to use that as a cyclical thing. Oh, here I am moaning and all I had was a couple of incidents of child abuse and like, yeah, yeah. you know, was economic deprivation that was pretty moderate in a global context. You know, like that's not a good way to make me feel good about myself. But because for me, and I guess there has to be malleability depending mm-hmm. on how, because whilst I believe in universal solutions and and to a degree a universality of human experience, like I believe that we are one. I believe mm-hmm. we are one. That, that That's the solution is to love one another the, you know that kind of stuff but like i also believe that for the, the the things that you need to do in order to be okay may differ yeah and like because in the like we've had different cultural i'm male you're female with racially different although we've had very similar lives in a lot of ways go on we we've had so, uh, quite a few similarities in our childhoods uh and then similar insecurities and uh issues that we've gone through as teenagers then we both went to callan school of english which is where we both trained as teachers oh my god and then you we were both, there. when were you there i was there a couple of years after you and everyone used to compare us to each other which no was very way. weird because i didn't know who you were yet because i didn't have telly uh and then we both became channel four presenters callan was a a, a school that teaches english as a foreign yeah. language so even though you yourself don't speak any foreign languages if you're me yes uh, same. you stand in a room with japanese brazilian icelandic yep. german colombian people and teach them from a book and if you're me not well and take them to the park and let them smoke weed i have endless completely justified guilt about uh just how poor the english of so many of those so do you remember that book of of like umbrella umbrella well you had to like do so much at the beginning you had to do something yeah but it was brilliant for me because i was a very inhibited and uh nervous 19 year old when i started and by the time i uh was done like i felt very uninhibited because it's so embarrassing what you have to do at the very beginning of when they when they really don't speak any english you have to communicate 
communicate almost entirely via mime. And I remember explicitly the devastating memory of having to sit in front of 17 Polish nuns who were all in their like 60s and 70s and have to explain to them via the art only of mime why they shouldn't pronounce sitting as shitting. <laughs> and I had to explain to them what the connotation of shitting is did you, via mime. Just mime? Did you not use... No, I think I did. <laughs> and maybe waving your hand yeah, in front of them while they I crossed did. themselves yeah. and looked heavenward I'll to never, the Father. Their faces are engraved upon my mind. Oh, no. Refund. Yeah. That's the first um, word they learned in English. But yeah, so then, yeah, you and I have had and then sort of went from hosting and interviewing into actoring You've and got then a... into activism. Oh, right. Am I your stalker? <laughs> You're stalking me remotely. Your doppelganger, yeah. Oh, right. Oh, I'm glad it's you. Just to be reflected for a moment would be a privilege. Uh, so you went you went to that Callan, you taught English language, then you got some sort of Channel 4 job, did you? I got yeah. an MTV job from there. I went from the Callan money, which was, I feel like it was, for me, that was even good money. It was like yeah. 18 quid an hour. And I, was I like, felt like yes. a boss. Yeah, it was 12 quid an hour, but yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I, yeah that went Still on Still a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. I remember I was wearing such <laughs> awful clothes. I was drinking while I was there. I was so unprofessional. That is notoriously, well, not notoriously outside of my life. No one really cares. But in my book, I wrote about, so I've already written about this, so don't be offended. But when I wanted to leave that job, because I, I fell in love with a student, obviously. She was older than me, like uh, Amanda from Spain. I wanted to go on holiday for two weeks. I went, you've had your two weeks holiday. And I went... Oh, yeah, what it is, is I'm HIV and I've got to go and do all these HIV meds. And they were like, you evil bastard liar. <laughs> but no one could say that. Yeah. So they had to let me just go and have this two-week oh holiday. And then God. when I get on, I was eventually sacked. No, I don't think it was sacked. I think they just sort of let me go. I mean, I was just like, I would behave like that. I was on drugs. You can't I, condemn me. No, I can't. I can't. So I, I don't won't. know. Did that survive as part of the myth of me when you were in Canon? Yeah, no. that guy seemed to claim that he was... No, I don't die. know. I think that, like, I mean, I used to bribe the students as sweets uh, to try and get them to become happier uh, during the classes. Uh, but I think they apparently they found our styles quite similarly, which oh, now right. hearing how shit you were it's makes me feel very upset about that comparison. <laughs> I had a back spasm in front of a class, like... Like a, like a lower back yeah, yeah. spasm. And because I'd always been like a sort of jokey teacher, as I lie on the floor in spasm, <laughs> go, help me, help me, to a room full of people who didn't speak no good English because their teacher was rubbish. <laughs> I was going, help me, help me. They eventually had to call an ambulance and I had to be taken out on a gurney like Hannibal Lecter, you know, when he has to, when Hannibal oh, Lecter's wow. on a thing. They trolled me out of uh, that building. I had a lot of embarrassing experiences in oh, that I've place. I've had so many embarrassing experiences. Just through the last 10 years of my career, I broke my front tooth and got a concussion and broke my nose on camera on Channel 4. What, during a uh, like a, a play fight with Ollie Murs and I went flying in the air. They they played it in slow-mo all day on the network. It's still on the internet under presenter flirting fail. Yeah, so this tooth is like broken right in half but I've kept the original the OG tooth uh, my nose is broken I never got it fixed because I was worried about looking like Michael Jackson exactly like Michael Jackson just from a nose <laughs> drum um, and I <laughs> look we might have gone a bit far I hope yeah. you like it <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, and another time I fell off I lived in Hampstead right near you did because I'm your stalker uh, and I fell off the t went on a rare snowy snowy Monday I uh, left the top of my step of a 20 step stoop and I flew up in the air because I slipped on the ice and landed at the bottom of the staircase and broke my ass, which I didn't know you, you could broke do the ass. I broke my ass. I think it's called a coccyx but let's be very honest it's your ass. <laughs> uh, and I had to wear I had to use a rubber ring to sit down on all the time and I had to go to the GQ 
Skew Awards like a week later and they sat me next to Stephen Fry in a giant um, rubber ring that GQ had got me with a little rubber duck on the side just to add insult to injury. And it just looked like I'd been bummed to death, really. <laughs> it didn't, it, no one believed my story. I've got uh, some lifestyle issues Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> require I sit on this rubber life. ring. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is who I am. Accept me, GQ. Hashtag T4. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I can feel you on the embarrassment. But anyway, uh, I don't remember how we got onto that. But uh, Well, I'm just glad it ended thing. in yeah. the anecdote that it did. <laughs> so how, how come you came out to Los Angeles where we are currently talking? Oh, because I was unhappy. Why? Because London held a lot of bad memories for me. And also, it's not necessarily way ahead of the game in diversity and like giving women lots of interesting opportunities uh, and so it was kind of like either I could appear as a, a contestant on a reality tv show or I could not to d- diminish that for people who make that decision right, but it no, wasn't okay, right yeah. for me yeah. it wasn't right for me uh, and I uh, I didn't want to do that I didn't want that to be the next step and I didn't want to still be considered for rear of the year in my 50s and 60s and all these different ways in which we really since like, you bust your ass yeah, exactly this it's a mess back then. <laughs> <laughs> it's never recovered um, so I just felt like there weren't a lot of people from my background. Uh, it was sort of like me and Krishnan and Martin and Connie had gone off to have babies. So British they were just Asians. Yeah, British Asians on uh, UK television. And uh, it just, there was nothing exciting. There was nowhere further exciting for me to go. And I loved Radio One, but it was only once or twice a week. I wasn't intellectually stimulated enough. And I felt like I had more to do and I wanted to become a writer. And in England, you're in your box, especially when you're a woman, especially when you're a woman of colour. It's like, no, you do fashion. You do fashion TV. And I never wanted to do fashion TV. It's just that I came after Alexa Chung and she did that. And they just thought, we'll just slot her into that position. So I sort of faked it for a couple of years. And I, uh, every time I'd come over to America, I'd turn on the telly and there were women, like African-American women in their late 50s who were really curvaceous, hosting huge morning shows. And I was like, oh, this is great. This place actually allows for some sort of age and weight gain and race. Uh, more so than my beloved home country was at the time. I think they've changed and gotten better since. But I felt very boxed in. And so I, I, uh, I had a, a doctor found a lump in my breast and it was a big, big old lump. And he it, he kind of gave me a week from the biopsy to find out when. I mean, that's how long it takes. He wasn't just a sadistic bastard. Like, it takes a week to get the results back. And uh, in that week, you do a lot of soul searching about what you're doing with your life. And I very much so believe in, like, the idea of disease is dis-ease. And so I was like, oh, well, my body might be t- trying to tell me something. And so uh, maybe it's this is a ball of, like, stress and rage and frustration and I should listen to my body and change my life radically, I'm going to move to California. And so that was the number one thing on my little bucket list. And the week later I found out it wasn't cancer, booked a one-way ticket to California. Well, actual one-way ticket, actual, like an song. An actual one-way ticket, yeah, like a country song. I'm Chris Christopherson. <laughs> uh, and I uh, packed my bags and I uh, yeah, Kicked got on in them, my truck. them old cowboy yeah. boots. <laughs> I went to, you know, see a woman about a horse or whatever you do uh, and I arrived in California with no agent no contacts no friends no nothing just uh sort of um I guess a bit of hope no expectation and you're doing brilliantly aren't you what, I did what all right are you, <laughs> yeah. what, what are you doing here well my first audition was I got two auditions and one was for a hosting show 
uh, to work on a big magic show in Vegas, which I thought was an absolutely amazing opportunity and I was desperate to do. But I also at the same time landed this acting job, even though I'd never acted before, I landed this job on The Good Place with NBC. And we weren't told anything about the show. We weren't allowed to know anything about the show. I didn't know who I was playing. I was like, is this Mike Scher's first porno? Like, what am I signing my life away to? You have to sign a seven-year deal at the audition. So I just sort of, The Good Place was better paid. And also it had Ted Danson in it. And I really wanted to meet Ted Danson. So basically, I'm just such a star fucker that I changed the course of my life towards Hollywood. So I'd get a chance to work with Ted Danson. And that's the first time I've ever admitted that out loud. I really just wanted to meet him and work with him. So I took the job and, you know, I really went to those auditions never expecting I'd get it anyway. And I think that nonchalance translated as extreme confidence. And they thought that I would be a competent actor and I've had to uh, learn how to swim (laughs) very fast. As in not literally learn how to swim, as in learn how to keep up with these other actors. Oh, there's been no swimming. There's been zero swimming. Uh, It was a bad analogy that no one's ever used those those words to describe what I was trying to say. Um, I panicked. Which is good. I just panicked. You're Um, a pioneer in language. I'm sweating again. Um, But I, uh, yeah, I went and did that. I went and just tried it out and I risked global embarrassment and headlines that would say brown woman ruins obviously that'd be very racist only the Daily Mail would, would run it like with that brown woman yeah. fails <laughs> woman, oh I like this woman ruins Mike Scher comedy uh, but it's been alright and, and Ted's been my kind of uh, unintentional teacher I just copy everything he does and I've really thrown myself in and I'm really proud of myself for shutting my pride up and just jumping in and trying well done Thanks. He like mentor you, would you say, in that work environment? Yeah, massively. And not just not just as an actor, but also as a person. He's been through so much in this industry. Really? And he's reached great highs and terrible lows and then come back up and been on top again. And he's very much into educating us about the mistakes that people make and to ensure that we don't become complacent and we don't become ungrateful. And he literally runs around like skips sometimes. Sometimes Ted Danson skips on set. Uh and just says, aren't we the luckiest people in the world? Can you believe we get to do this for a living? And he's been doing this for like 40 years and he still has that sort of joie de vivre about the whole thing. It's just bizarre. God, well, he sounds amazing. Yeah, it's too much. How dare he? Do you ask him directly for help sometimes? Like, listen, I don't know how to do this scene. No, I won't do that. Occasionally when I have to do something very challenging and you, I'll say, was that shit afterwards? And, you know... He'll either give me a, a definite no or sometimes a sort of just like a frown, sort of like, it's a bit shit. <laughs> but it's all said just with a very kind face. Uh, and so he's he's just a great barometer and he's a very generous actor and he's he just infuses you with confidence when you're acting opposite him, which is so rare. Oh, God, that's brilliant. Have you had mentorship in your life elsewhere, women for example, or like teachers, people that you've gone, oh, this I can model myself on this person. This person will nourish me. No. Yeah. Well, what the hell's Have going you? on? Yes. Okay, that's good. Thankfully. No, I haven't. Not till I was older. And I think in sense, the absence of that is very problematic for us. I feel that we, you know, your parents can get you so far, but you need people like, again, this is another 12 step thing. I have people that have got more time than me and I turn to them for help with my relationships, with my embarrassment, shame, really, you know, like, and, and they give me guidance. And now it's become a habit to look for people that I 
I try not to endow them with too much power. Like, oh my God, you might be Jesus. But like, because that's a role that only one man can play, yeah. let's face it. <laughs> and it's this guy. That's no. <laughs> cast, <laughs> bang, stamped. Um, but like, uh, I like having that. I, it, it helps me to have that. No, um, like in like uh, some, uh, like uh, this woman, Meredith, a mentor of mine, because of the way she sort of talks about spirituality in a very unfussy kind of, this is what we do. This is what it is to be a person. She helped me when I was... Uh, getting divorced helped me around sort of some of my addictive behaviors even though that's not where you know her background is not addiction um and then ama who is like a indian woman do you know who she is she's like no. the, known as the hugging don't all saint. know each other russell oh right no. oh crikey no, I mean, go on, go on. you guys need I to get some Amma. phones because yeah. from what i've heard the call centers <laughs> seem to be primarily run from that nation so like um that, now ama is uh the reason you should know because she's magnificent um like she just hugs people. She's from somewhere in Kerala in Southern India. And she just grew up in a fishing village, went into mad spiritual reveries, just started cuddling people all the time. And oh after people had assessed that she wasn't mad, a culture of Brahmin formed around her, like a high Indian priest. I'm not going to yeah. assume that you know what that means now. And now she has raised, she's built like 400,000 homes in India, builds uh, colleges for mm-hmm. women. She's like a force. And it comes just from what happens if you do nothing but love? What happens if you let go of ego? I mean, this is my assessment of it from watching how she treats people how she behaves i think you would think that she is amazing she sounds great i also love hugging and cuddling well so then you're gonna love amma amma. Like, well i'm gonna i'm gonna bloody look her she up she comes she tours you'll great. meet amma she will love well, maybe you. she'll be my bloody mentor uh no i've never had one and it's been very lonely and it explains why i've been such a clusterfuck uh for my whole life where I, everything i learn is via trial and predominantly error um but at least i'm not too ashamed or embarrassed to at least continue to try to get better but um i make too a wild amount of mistakes constantly and i think i probably need a mentor i did have though that woman who did emdr therapy uh on me to me with me uh (laughs) near me uh she said a thing to me that changed the way that i would go on to feel for the rest of my life so this could be mentory yeah, go on. Get ready. Yeah. Hear about my mentor. She said to me, I, I went to her and I was complaining about how everyone was taking advantage of me and everyone was taking my money and everyone was uh, just sort of just taking the piss. And she said, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better and more eloquent term, um, she, she just said to me, she's like, well, darling, you know, doormats already lying down before people wipe their feet all over it. And I was like, that's some home truths from the EMDR lady. Yeah, well, because they're not like proper therapists. They're allowed to talk back. (laughs) It's it's really annoying, actually, but (laughs) deeply effective. And she said this thing to me that while also it did a little bit victim blame me, um, it empowered me because it made me realize that, oh, no, there is some there is a little bit of me that's carried on from my childhood, that feeling of responsibility to fulfill everyone else's needs before my own. And that made me realise that maybe I've got a light on essentially above my head that just says mug and I need to turn it off and only I can turn that light off. You've and changed. So, I yeah. remember you from before. Oh no, has it just come back to you? <laughs> no, I remember oh, you anyway from before. Yeah. But like uh, you've changed. It's obvious that you've done work on yourself. It's really good that you have reached the point where you are no longer madly like myself Mm -hmm. you know given that we are now acknowledging that we're similar to one another Mm -hmm. looking continually for external verification and validation as if there is someone or something that can make you feel all right that it's something that's there and through various kinds of action you can yeah 
Resolve you and it. I once had like an eight-hour conversation. Yeah, where was that? Ten years ago. Bloody hell. <laughs> where were we? It was ten years ago. It was in Hampstead. And it was just at the very beginning of my career. So I would have been 20. It was literally, Jesus Christ, it was literally 10 years ago, almost to the month, I reckon, because it was summer. And we went for what was going to be a coffee where you were going to tell me about... Uh, don't worry, you did nothing untoward. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't think I did, like, you know, that was not a concern of mine. I said no, no, to no, my no. wife before you came, I goes, I know that, like, because uh, what I had the image of was just picking yeah. you up in a car, which you rather cruelly called a van. <laughs> it was a van. I think to make it, it sound a, more pejorative. No, it was a van. It was a, it, it was the, the it would have been a Mercedes van. van. I don't, yeah. I've never driven no, a van. After that time, we got chatting in Hampstead one time and I just joined Channel 4 and you were aware of that and you were like, I'm on Channel 4 and I could give you like some advice if Do you ever need it. Do you want some advice it. on Channel yeah. 4? Get back in my van. <laughs> um, so uh, we went out for a coffee and then it turned into like dinner and then just we just stayed drinking tea because we we're both sober uh, until like the middle of the night. And it was like two manic, uh, very wordy, uh, fireflies just sort of flying at each other conversationally and you've changed a lot as well I wasn't sure what to expect today I was a little bit nervous and I don't normally get nervous oh, for podcasts not because you were a dick or anything uh not in particular but um <laughs> because I didn't know how you would be and uh I'm normally the loosest cannon in any room that I'm in and in that instance when I was 22 and we met I was like oh Jesus Christ I've met a looser cannon than I um and it was it felt almost competitive and combative, uh, but also very funny and uh, a really enjoyable conversation that went on for seven or eight hours. But it's, it's more chilled now. Yeah, it's much calmer, isn't it? Yeah. I, what I remember... We both chilled out. <laughs> yeah, just calm down, both of you, as yeah. an imaginary parent might have said on discovering that happening. I remember thinking that you were just lovely and beautiful, but that, yeah, like you're similar to me in like you're intense and uh, yeah. erratic it can be difficult to learn how to live with that mm-hmm. and uh is something that i'm still doing you know, it, as we came here i made the joke of like uh, like working hard to go down yeah and i sort of mean it in a kind of becoming grounded for me it's a bit like um the process of becoming a father and a husband the and the center of my life being outside of me in a sense you know like of like the the them being the priorities in my life yeah has had a sort of pretty powerful effect on what was let's face it a kind of unwieldy ego yeah yeah i i similarly to to that i guess i mean i don't have any children but falling in love properly uh, and gave me a reason to live, which was great. And now Lovely. I've done work to find a reason just for myself to live. Uh, but it was the first time I had, I felt a genuine responsibility to someone else to get better and to keep myself in check and to stay alive and to not put that person off me, well which is wonderful. Uh, you met him. And yeah, so he he's a, like a really, really he's a really amazing person. And we've been together for over four years. And and that that kind of really nourishing, wonderful f- love and sense of union and sense of genuine responsibility to, to make someone else happy. And it, it feels like a pleasure, not, on, not a, um, an obligation. Sometimes it's a bit of an obligation, isn't it? For all of us. I'm sure he feels that way. But generally, just to make him happy feels like a great honour. That's a really beautiful thing to say. And so that's been very helpful, I think, for me to have that. But no, I don't think you should let your 
pursuit of happiness hinge upon another person externally of you but it's definitely it definitely helps well done for qualifying that yeah, yeah. That well you know i'm not an idiot dangerous <laughs> got my ofcom uh, <laughs> brain off you seem to have implied that it requires a man to make... yeah you need a big strong white man um... <laughs> like everyone does yeah and that's why perhaps we could institutionalize that why don't we create sort of a white man in the sky Let's get rid of white man in yeah. corporations <laughs> white men in charge of all things a kind of patriarchy if you will and this this that's a great idea. What they do too no. much because it isn't easy to be in a position of yeah. power. What you're doing now? What are you? Uh, are you writing things and creating things? Tell me what you're up to. I am writing a book, and so I just signed a deal to do that, and it's a book about shame. Uh, my sort of experience with it uh, it's not about me only but it's just sort of everything that I wish that I'd known when I was 12 that could have helped me have you got a nice picture of you looking a bit geeky at 12 probably somewhere yes for sure it's got to be do you want it shall I send it to you (laughs) What's well, the other picture I was supposed to send? You, uh, you under a table <laughs> oh, and you're at 12. It. I will send you the picture. <laughs> the dubious gallery of Jamila. Russell Brand's been found with a picture of a 12-year-old on his computer. <laughs> Thinking about it now, yeah. it was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> keep that picture. <laughs> so, um, I... Uh, you know, I, I do have those, but don't worry, that's not going to be the cover of the book. I thought that's where you were going and it was going to be me just being like, I'm just approachable. <laughs> um, it's not that. But I'm writing, I'm I'm finishing season four of The Good Place, which comes out in September. And I am probably going to go and try and write my first screenplay. But most importantly, I'm turning I away into a company. I'm not going to leave this just as an Instagram account. It's too important and effective, if I may say so myself. Uh, we get hundreds of letters a day from women just being like, I've worn a bathing suit for the first time in in uh, 14 years. And, and I've been able to play with my children on the beach in a swimsuit, not on a, like, you know, a sack, a potato sack that normally I would feel like I have to wear. Or people tell us that they've come out to their parents because of us. Or people tell us that they've stopped, they've started eating again because of I weigh, because of everything that we teach. And I go out and I give speeches and, and I have amazing people working with me on the company. So we're going to turn it into a lifestyle company that's actually about your bloody lifestyle, not just about looking thinner and younger for straight men. That's it's good. about uh, being smarter and happier. Brilliant. That's a really good idea. So that's my next step. And hopefully it won't blow up in my face and be very embarrassing. But I think there's great hope there to to really build a sense of community around the people who've been erased. You know, because we've just like... We've erased so many different types of people and we've only allowed this like one archetype into mainstream media and unfortunately media does bleed into the culture and the culture does bleed into society and we've left like 90% of people out of it. And so what I weigh is going to be is this radically inclusive space to provide a home and a source of inspiration for young people who had nowhere to go and find themselves before. Oh, I love this idea. I think uh, if you you know if I may be so bold continue to do things where it seems that you are able to transcend your former negative beliefs about yourself and Mm. be of service to others yeah there is no limitation to what you can achieve it seems like you really have made some good decisions thanks it took so long to get here but I think I'm starting to figure it out and you know it's being you'll you know this, uh, I've seen your stand-up shows, like when you put yourself out there in activism and uh, when you when you stick your neck out, essentially, a lot of people do try and chop your head off. Uh, That's which the has been risk a of the real, neck. Yeah, it's a real, yeah. <laughs> the main risk. Um, Hold but on a people... it's like a junction between the brain and the body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's it's been really intense 
to be in activism on this level because everyone thinks that you're doing it performatively. Yes. And everyone thinks that you're a hypocrite and yes. a twat. And um, and maybe I am some of those things in somewhere within me, but generally there is really a good person yes. who just would like to help and not feel like a greedy person who's just taking and taking and taking and consuming and consuming and not using any of it for good. Well done. Have you um, felt attacked? Yeah. But often it's right. <laughs> and I don't realise that in the moment because I'm defensive. Uh, what do you mean? When did you feel attacked? Well, like... When I make mistakes publicly, or if I say something ignorant or problematic, or I, uh, or like someone pointed out that there weren't enough dark-skinned black women on the iWay account, and they were like, "Why this erasure?" And I didn't really understand what erasure meant, and so I was just like, "I'm not sitting there erasing black women from this account," but I didn't know anything, so I realised that what she was saying is that I wasn't making enough of an effort to reach out to dark-skinned black women and make sure that they knew that we were trying to represent them and trying to celebrate them as well. That I've kind of been someone who, because I'm brown, I just feel like, well, you know, I, I can affiliate with all people of any color whatsoever it's like no we all have different marginalizations very different experiences and I was ignorant to that so therefore I have left a lot of people out in my activism and now I don't do that anymore I check myself I share a thing that you and I have both been accused of is like trying to hog the mic <laughs> uh, when we're talking about marginalized people but we're there not marginalized that much and taking the whole mic <laughs> and so now I share the mic I pass that mic and I uplift other activists with my limelight but I had to be called out on that stuff before I realized it's good that you're saying this how uh, give us an example of that so I, I actively spend a lot of every day seeking out other activists and contacting them privately and asking them how I can promote their work and then I do actively constantly promote their work to other people because i have a big uh there are some amazing activists out there there's a woman who is at your fat friend yr fat friend and she is an activist for and against anti-fatness and uh she speaks so beautifully and eloquently and in such a radically kind way about this issue and she comes up against so much grief and shaming but she breaks things down in this way that is so amazingly easy to digest and she's so she really evokes empathy in her writing so she's someone I definitely suggest people follow um there's a woman called it's Jessamine who's on who's uh, on Instagram who is a fat african-american woman who is uh, amazing at yoga and she's very limber and she defies all of the stereotypes around people who are bigger not being able to do exercise and partake in these things that make you feel really good emotionally so she's this incredibly flexible wonderful amazing human being there's loads of them and if, if you need to find them they're always on my instagram account oh i like that it's good that you're doing this i'm trying i'm learning i've got a lot more to learn i'm sure and it'll be very embarrassing when I'm called out for all of it. But I now feel genuinely sometimes a bit annoyed, but mostly quite grateful for the fact that people call me out. Um, I think people try and cancel me quite a lot. I feel like I'm uh, Keanu Reeves surfing the waves of uh, cancellation in that movie in which he's surfing. Does he surf in that movie? Isn't what you t- point break? He's surfing in that point break. Yeah. I don't feel about the I don't thing know why came with. into my mind, uh, but I do. What like, I'm struggling with, Jamila, is people cancelling Keanu yeah. while he's surfing on that wave. Um, no, I, 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 I'm always like an inch off cancellation, but I have cancelled cancellation as a way because I think it devalues progress. 
the idea what is that this cancellation who's going to cancel you what do you cancellation mean? is basically when essentially it happens on social media where everyone decides that someone has done something problematic either now or tw- 10 12 years in the pop you would have been fucked <laughs> coming, up, <laughs> coming up at this time if 10 years ago was happening now on twitter you'd be dead because i'm too mouthy yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Right. You would have not been forgiven. And any ancient history Thank mistakes. Yeah. Twitter was yeah. 10 years ago. We best go back and sort that shit out. Yes. Um, but you make any mistake, even 10, 12 years ago in an interview or in a tweet that someone's still recorded, um, then you get cancelled and you get fully dismissed. It's almost like you just get thrown away for life. Well, that's awful. Yeah, it would have, it would have been a, a, sh- a nightmare for you. <laughs> so, so glad now, I'm a nice elderly pa. Now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get to back in back in With my your day. <laughs> distinguished salt and pepper beard. Yes, as I did grow old <laughs> gracefully <laughs> as a man. It's it's really quite scary, and it's become this new way. It's like whack a mole, where people people are just knocking activists out, and these are people who are really trying to help and sometimes we've got that's not a good way to ignorance. for people to coalesce and change the world it's not going to really help i think it's important for people to be reprimanded and held to task i think that's very important we shouldn't pussyfoot around privileged people who make mistakes but you don't have to dismiss them for life you know like um a maxim that predates social media was the right look for allies the left look for traitors mm-hmm. you know like so like sort of right wing people are like right oh cool you can come on board left wing you're not good enough at being left wing mm-hmm. like no, we're still doing that i mean on steroids now it's just right. this cannab- self-cannibalizing culture in the left and everyone's just picking each other apart it always reminds me of that scene at the end of jurassic park where the two little kids oh sorry hit the mic where the two little kids are in the kitchen and they're running away from the velociraptors, right? I'm going somewhere with this. You're looking at me doubtfully in your eyes. I've got no doubt. Okay, fine. This There's... will be one of another of your winning analogies. <laughs> but there are these these two kids who are running away and they're trying to hide from the velociraptors and they run out into the open bit of the museum and a T-Rex comes in and then the T-Rex suddenly, for no good reason, starts a fight with the velociraptors. And while they're fighting with each other, the kids get away. In this scenario, the children are the right. <laughs> they're the conservatives who are getting off scot-free with everything they're doing. Are you watching Jurassic Park from the perspective of the dinosaurs? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> How many times are they going to try and reopen that dinosaur park I know. before they realise it's, it's not shit. a good model? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That needs to be cancelled. Yeah. We're going to cancel anything. Let's cancel Jurassic bloody I've park. I've got a brilliant idea. It's another dinosaur. Park. Right, we're just going to show you a couple of films. There you yeah. go. It always ends up with children getting killed by velociraptors. You sure you're? Yeah, no, there's money mm-hmm. in it. Yep. I like that. So, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> what a good that way is how of I. That is. It's, it's distressing to be like now deep in activism and realise how much we do really rip each other apart. It's really not helpful. Yes, you're doing. But I feel like uh, this is my new my new lens. I was about to say, and I heard it just a second. Tell before me I about said your it. new lens. Would you like to know about my yeah, new lens, Jamila? <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. It's um, I, I'm trying like that. I approach things spiritually instead of politically because it's a less bounded uh, ideology. It's more. It's absolutely inclusive yeah. and totally loving. Completely, in a sense, permissive. In the sense of. Um, has the robustness, the tradition, and the underwriting to to know we are flawed, we are fallible. The greatest people in history uh, erred and made mistakes, and that if we are serious about creating new systems in a new world that can overcome many of the ideas you've talked about, continual commodification, objectification, inability for human beings to connect with who they are, who truly are, then we're gonna have to be tolerant and loving to one another, and mm-hmm. willing to 
Or would they say, cross the aisle to speak to one another, have different conversations? There's a woman who talks about this. Her name is Aishat A. Akanbi, who you should have on this show. Because she's the most eloquent person I've ever met in my entire life. And she talks about the problem with wokeness in a way that I'm not even going to dare to paraphrase. Is she in America? No, she's in in England. And so maybe when you're back in in London, you should find her. But she's really brilliant. She's someone that I really look up to uh, as a speaker on all of this and, and with a really clear idea of what we're going to the only way forward for all of us. And she's got a real problem with wokeness and performative wokeness and and how unprogressive we can be when we just tear people apart. And she talks about how she's looking for progress and not just moral purity. So that is is definitely a teaching. And she also calls out uh, rage as being, as not being, fuck, what did she say? Never mind. Fuck well, it. like rage not just, being sort of useful no, or helpful. No, no, she said it's actually, it's not, what's the opposite of conformist? Um, radical. She says that, radical, uh, yeah, she says outrage isn't radical. It's actually quite conformist. Wow, wicked. And in that one sentence, she just calls everyone out and makes everyone feel like quite a basic bitch. That's brilliant. What's, uh, we've written her name down. Aishat Ayakambi. Cool. Yeah, she's great. She sounds like a person that you can, that could mentor you, doesn't she? I don't think she's got the time. She's also younger than me. It's a big old burden. Oh, right. No, no. No. I can't lean on the young for this. I'll be fine. I'll find armor. with the young. I'll find armor and like, you can yeah. mentor me a bit. Like you're a couple of steps I'll help. ahead. There I'll help in any way I can. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That's what I want to do. I want to be of service to people, people Great. that I've got, because I didn't, I'm very individualistic previously, very like, like, oh, this is all coming through me. This mm-hmm. has to be me. Now I recognize, no, no, no. It's got to be much more Avengers, much more collective. Mm-hmm. There are people with so many, so with yes. such diverse experience that need to, you know, that need to uh, tell their stories and to participate in the creation of new systems. So that I'm sure there's um, things that we'll talk about and I, I yeah. hope that we can help one another. I agree. Mm. I'm going to introduce you to the lady who uh, did EMDR to at or on me. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all right. Thank you. We'll, no we'll, we'll swap therapists. We're in LA now. Yeah. That's yeah, how we exactly. communicate. Over a matcha. Uh, <laughs> this has been, um, I don't know if it's finishing or not, but in case it is, this has been lovely. Oh, so it's so wonderful to see you again and to see how you've evolved and changed. I believe in what you're doing. I think you're going to do great things. Thanks. You already Same. are. Nice one, Jamila. Thanks. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> <laughs> well, life's still going, really. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to that podcast episode of Under the Skin from Luminary Media with me and Jamila Jamil. Remember, if you want to see me performing live Saturday, the 15th of June, I'll be in Calgary, Canada, doing two shows, one at six, one at nine, in Southern Alberta at the Jubilee Auditorium, a benefit for Fresh Start Recovery Center. $105 Canadian dollars for tickets. Remember, it's going to a very good cause indeed. Go to russellbrand.com to secure those tickets. They will move extremely fast indeed. Also, keep an eye on russellbrand.com for shows I'm doing here in Los Angeles, watch the YouTube channel for more spiritual videos. Just try my best to work out how I feel and how you feel. Um, and uh, subscribe and click the bell for notifications, yeah? We want you to click on that little belly. Five videos every single week. That's the commitment we've made. Little short videos. Uh, someone called them espresso shots of spirituality. And that person was me. No, it wasn't. It was a person I met in the street. I'm out and about. You know me. Uh, remember, you can get mentors if you want it as an audiobook or as a book made out of paper from a reputable local bookstore or from Global Monolith 
and tax avoider. No, I mean, should we want to get political? <laughs> you can get it wherever you want. It's up to you what you do. And uh, my comedy special, Rebirth, is on Netflix. So have a look at that just to see me in that environment talking about, God, politics, the complexity of talking about politics in a public sphere dominated by corporate interest. And uh, let me know what you think. If you want to get in touch with me, go at Rusty Rockets with the hashtag under the skin or Instagram at True Russell Brand. If you uh, could get people to download the Luminary app, remember, it's free for three months. They can go to luminary.link forward slash Russell. So yeah, get get people to do that, would you? Uh, I'd really appreciate it if you'd start working for me for nothing. <laughs> Cheers. Um, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Jamila Jamil. We've got some great episodes coming up talking about behaviour, creativity, Christianity, spirituality. We've got a lot to discuss. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Luminary Media. <laughs>